Hello there. We're Vincent Elliott McNally. Yes, the great-great-grandsons of map-making mogul Rand McNally. And we'll be your hosts and tour guides on a trip across America, one small town at a time. In the spirit of our great-great-grandfather, we're traveling the country writing the family's first almanac in over 50 years. Towns and Country, the McNally Brothers' comprehensive guide to small-town America. Each week we'll be in a new town, and after getting to know the place and the people, we'll tell you, the listener, all there is to know. In a show we call These Parts, a podcast putting towns on the map. Hello, and welcome to another episode of These Parts. I'm Vince McNally. I'm one of your co-hosts. Joining me, as always, is my brother and my friend, Elliot McNally. Hey, Elliot. Glad you're here. Hey, Vince. I'm really glad to be here, too, and really excited for another episode. And one episode it is, right, Elliot? This has been truly a unique experience. It's been really unique. And and even aside from this episode, we've gotten so much more publicity in even the past couple weeks. Our listenership is flourishing. Um, there's just been a huge outburst of support for these parts, and we're so excited about that. We're, we're proud and we're thankful. We're grateful to you, the listener, for your support. And while our listenership and, and this little project of ours has been flourishing, we're somewhere where flourishing isn't really on the menu. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the case in the town we're in. And I think we should explain that a little more in our first segment. Put it on the map. So let's welcome you, the listener, now as every week to take out your comprehensive Rand McNally U.S. wall map, spread it out, put a pin in central Oklahoma, a little town called Forage. So we just did it. Uh, Hopefully you guys used your commemorative Rand McNally push pins. We always do. We always do. Unless we're using the magnets. Uh, yeah, unless the magnets, you know, you do have to have the steel-plated edition of the map, um, but you can definitely pick one of those up. Um, you know, just just as a side note, obviously Rand McNally is, is a part of the All-American Society, and we've talked about this outburst of support. Uh, there have been a lot of rumors swirling that Vince and I are in talks with a spinoff podcast uh, with Ira Glass and, uh, called This All-American Life. And we're not saying yes or no to this, um, but we're definitely, we've been talking to Ira a lot and it's something that we are really interested in doing and we couldn't do it if we didn't have the listenership that we did. Absolutely. We cannot confirm or deny at this point, but Ira is a close friend of ours and we, we call him often for, for both personal and business reasons. Uh, so just, you know what, keep your ear to the ground mm-hmm. as we're wont to do here in the traveling business. And, uh, and maybe you'll be hearing more from us soon. And if you were to keep your ear to the ground and forage, it's safe to say you wouldn't hear that much. Because this town is on the largest percentage of what the U.S. government deems uninhabitable land. That's right, Elliot. We're looking at a whopping 97% of Forage, Oklahoma, deemed uninhabitable. So... Vince, for those of us who are not as well-versed in the government and uh, different regulations and different, uh, you know, government litigious things as you are, what what does this mean? What, what makes the government do this? What is uninhabitable? So I'm going to quote the founding document of the Department of Agriculture and Resources. Uh, it's Clause 
28C, and, it's re- and it reads, Uninhabitable land by way of the U.S. government is designated when the land itself cannot support human life in any appreciable regard. Okay. So that's legalese. Mm-hmm. What it means is the government has deemed pieces of land by the acre not suitable for life. So they don't allow businesses to move in there. They suggest that people don't live there. They don't tax that land. They don't provide any services for that land. To them, it essentially just doesn't exist. But then you you could see that some people might find this as a benefit. You don't have to really pay to live here, uh, except for your health and well-being. Um, And so you could just kind of move in, and that's really how the town of Forage was established. Absolutely. It's very, uh, there's like a Wild West vibe where you're making your own way, you're staking your own claims. And what's been really fun about living in Forge this past week is just seeing how these people live. I mean, we've been in towns so far on our journey that have had to deal with um, the, you know, Mother Nature. And we've been learning how different towns deal with that force of reckoning. And now we're sort of learning and how these people deal with lack of Mother Nature and lack of any sort of resources whatsoever. Completely devoid of essentially anything. Uh And I think this is as good a time as any to segue into a new segment of ours, a segment that I'm really looking forward to, called At Long Lat. At Long Lat is a segment we've been toying with for a a little bit, and it's about the geography of the town that we're staying in. Um, we, We tend to talk a lot about the different people, about the culture, about... And for good reason, right? Because that's what we that's what we usually tune in to hear about. But mm-hmm. there's definitely a component to each of these small towns that is based on geography. And, and the town kind of fills to meet its geological space. So Vince, while we were researching this for the, for the past week in, in preparation for this segment, we were kind of walking around forage, asking the townspeople, you know, what is a geogra- geographically relevant part of town, what makes this unique, and everyone seemed to be pointing us in the same direction. They sure were. To a, to a landmark, to a landmark that they call the One Rock. The One Rock. Now, it's exactly what it sounds like, isn't it, Elliot? It is. It's, if you walk up to it, you might be tempted to just say, that's a rock. And you'd be right. It is a rock. It's quite literally the one rock that the town has. And this may seem insignificant, but when you think about what makes a rock of all the minerals and all of the different life forms that come together and solidify to make this rock in a place that is completely devoid of all life, uh, it's something special. Absolutely. Um, And it's a, a source of commerce and tourism and speculation, even mysticism and spirituality here in Forage, because mm-hmm. with with so little else, I'll, I'll just read a couple of quick ge- geographical facts for you from Forage okay. here. Uh, the average elevation throughout Forage changes less than one centimeter. So mm-hmm. we're talking, we're talking flat. There are no hills. There, there's, there's no, you know, plateaus. Uh, you can see from clear one end of forage to the other. Uh, the average rainfall in forage rounds down to zero 
inches a year. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually point you know oh oh one two something, uh, but there's there's not a lot of rainfall. Uh, and usually, usually that's acid rain too. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean that goes without saying. Uh, you know, there's no seismic activity. Uh, there's never been a tornado here, unlike most of, you know, Oklahoma. Uh, sometimes, you know, you've got the, the people of Forage wishing that a tornado would come through so they could get some of that government aid. Mm-hmm. But it, it just doesn't happen. Um, so as you can see, there's just not much happening here on a geological scale. And that's why this rock is so interesting. And when the, the geographer's first found this rock in the late 1800s people were skeptical and after it was confirmed that it was indeed a real rock and not just some bio waste that had solidified together people started trying to make their own copycat rocks it did it it launched what was the the largest counterfeit rock industry the nation has seen before since Mm mm-hmm I mean, we, we've seen definitely a lot of counter, counterfeit rock escapades go on throughout history, but this one is definitely the most talked about and most named. Absolutely. I mean, look back to the 90s, the pet rock phenomenon and all the knockoff rocks that were constructed then. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that is because they ended up um, making this particular rock that we're talking about distinguishable, distinguishable by putting googly eyes on it, and that was how the pet rock was invented. Yeah. Yes, in um, in the eighties, there was the the mascot craze. Everything had a mascot. You know, Chuck E. Cheese suddenly had a giant mouse. Uh, you know, people were the sports teams were were putting people in big foam suits, and so the people of Forage thought to themselves, you know, we also need a mascot. If we're any self respecting town, which they aren't per se, but if they were, they would have a mascot. And so, what better? you know, candidate than the one rock. Mm-hmm. And so people just started crowding around this rock. And uh, after rumors had dispelled that it was fake, um, they put the googly eyes on it just to dispel any other future rumors that this is not the particular rock. Uh, obviously, there have been more copycats um, who have gotten their hands on googly eyes um, that are, are pretty hard to come by around Forage, actually. Because no one will, no one will import any goods to forage, so the the citizens have to drive out to neighboring towns, of which there aren't many, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. purchase googly eyes, bring they, them back. They mostly subsist on what they call spillover from neighboring towns, is with if there's a strong gust of wind or something that blows something. Um, whether it be a food or a resource into forage, that's kind of what they live off of. And now that, that kind of sheds some light on the name, doesn't it, Elliot? Uh, mm-hmm. the, the settlers of forage in the 1800s, the late 1800s, uh, right after the Civil War had wrapped up, um, they subsisted on this spillage or this mm-hmm. wind, wind blow, as they would call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the citizenry today still upholds that tradition. I think that's that's definitely something our listeners would like to know. I think it just might be. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we, you and I have a couple of more listener inquiries that we're about to talk about. You know I'd correct you if you were wrong, Vince. And this is an instance when you're not wrong. And I think we should explore these listener inquiries in a great segment we call Wouldn't You Like to Know? 
So each week we read questions that you, the listener, write into us, and we we love this participation. Uh, as a thank you for your interaction, your interest, we feature your questions here on the show. Um, and we read them via letter, or email, or tweet, or Instagram post, all of the above. Any way you get in touch with us, we like to reach out. Uh, and we, we, try to, we try to take time to read three each week, right, Elliot? Mm-hmm. And I've got the first one right here. And this actually marks our first uh, Instagram post what you just mentioned on the air. So this this will be fun. Um, it is a little hard to read because the person, as, as we've dictated, writes the question down and then takes a picture of it. So it's a little blurry, but we'll, we'll try and get through it. It's from... And correct me if I'm wrong, but this one looks like they wrote the question on a piece of paper, then took a Polaroid of it, and then used their phone to take an Instagram of that Polaroid. That That is true. I think maybe they were going for like a nostalgia vibe, maybe. Sure, sure. I I appreciate the effort. Yeah, I mean that you are using technology, so then you, if you take a picture of something throwback, maybe it kind of balances out. That's just so you guys know, it's not a requirement to take a picture of a Polaroid of a piece of paper. You can just take a picture of what you wrote down, or just type the the question as well. That's another option. Um, but this comes from uh, at these parts rules with a Z. So that's, all right, that's fun. That's fun. Great. Um, and they're asking if I can read and decipher this Polaroid picture correctly. Um, hey, Elliot and Vince, it seems like there's a lot of radiation around Forage, Oklahoma. Can you explain where this comes from? Well, that's a great question. And a question that has roots um, in what a lot of people know as the Manhattan Project. Absolutely. Elliot and I, when we were talking to our, our friends in the almanac business, the travel business, uh, when we told them we were going to forage, they said two things to us. One, bring your lead vests, and two, bring mm-hmm. your Geiger counters. Mm-hmm. And so we dusted off old Rand's, uh, our great-great-grandfather's original Geiger counters um, from when he attempted to almanac Area 51. Uh, and we brought them along, and lo and behold, uh, the readings were off the charts. They were, and actually, just it's it's fun that you that you bring uh, Rand up when we're in Oklahoma too, because I just remembered that um, his wife Matilda used to chase him around with a frying pan whenever he would get too engrossed in his his work. And when they were founding Oklahoma, he he spoke up with All American Society and said he wanted it to be in the shape of a frying pan to commemorate his wife. He was a loving husband, and even though he was often distracted, he and Matilda were very happy late into life. And so, yeah, we've we've got the shape of Oklahoma because of this pan-chasing tradition of theirs. But, but again, so Vince and I are in this town. It is extremely radioactive. You can't be outside without any sort of uh, protective gear on. And uh, that's because that the original Manhattan Project was in Forge, Oklahoma, um, they were testing the atomic bomb, and they ended up because just there was there was so much radioactive activity, and uh, the land was so deserted and barren that they couldn't tell if they were getting their calculations and their atomic readings because it was just it it was like a, a net of zero. They couldn't they couldn't figure out if they, what they were doing was working or not. Absolutely, and if you you can look up on the in the U.S. Um, the databases that they maintain. Uh, these are open to the public. The before and after pictures 
of the atomic testing here in Forge, and they look identical. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no difference. There's yeah. no difference. You're not going to see that big that iconic mushroom cloud. Um, there is a picture of Albert Einstein uh, standing in the middle of Forge just with his shoulders shrugged, so like just I, like I, I don't um, know. who knows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's a great question, and it's something that the citizenry of Forage takes a lot of pride in, believe it or not, um, because they lack any sort of natural disaster. The fact that you know there's a little bit of danger in long-term exposure to the ground here in Forage is uh, something that they hang their hats on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great question. These parts fan or these parts rules, right? Is that these parts rules with a Z? Yeah, with a Z. With a Z. Thank you very much for your Instagram post. Uh, I've got the next one right here. Uh, this one comes from Shelby in Copenhagen, Massachusetts. Hey, Shelby. Shelby, thanks so much for writing in. And she has a very short but 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 interesting question. She writes, Hey, Vincent Elliott, I'm a huge fan. I'll cut to the chase. Tell me about the Forage Civil War of 1914. Hmm. Man, it's pretty rare that a listener will inquire about a specific thing with a specific date in mind as well. Uh, that, she's done her research, I think. Yeah, Shelby sounds like a smart cookie um, and a big fan. So let's do her some justice and talk about it. And this is notoriously when, against all odds, a plant grew in forage. Mm-hmm. Some people say that some wind carried... Um, a little acorn over from Texas and it stumbled into forage and uh, it, maybe the wind carried over some water for or some other nutrition for this plant to start growing. But, you know, against all odds, this miracle happened and uh, it happened right in the town center. And so it divided north and south forage uh, to figure out what, what side of the town this belonged to. Absolutely. Now, normally the town could just rejoice and celebrate the growing of a plant. But of course, the two sides of the town wanted to do different things. Mm-hmm. The, the poor side of forage, the impoverished side of forage, or forage, wanted to sell the plant. Even mm-hmm. in, a, in its young state, it was just a little sproutling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they wanted to, to use the money to bolster the town's treasury, you know, to mm-hmm. import goods. Now, the, the north part of forage, the even poorer part, wanted to eat the plant right then and there and split mm-hmm. it 78 ways amongst the, the citizens of the town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so five days of, of vicious fighting erupted over what to do with this plant. And during the fighting, um, somebody actually trampled over the plant and it died. And killed it, of course, Yes infamously and on that and that moment marked the the treaty of the dead plant as they call it mm-hmm. uh, and they hang that in the courthouse here at forage as a remembrance that you know we are lucky as foragians as they, this is their speaking uh that we have nothing because we have nothing to fight about mm-hmm. and it's really it's a lesson to the town to work together as a community if in fact some uh, saving grace would ever come their way again, which probably it won't. That was probably their only hope, but um, they'll definitely remember that next time it does. Absolutely. So I think we can all learn something from that that Civil War of 1914. 
thank you so much, Shelby, for writing in about that. Uh, do we have time for one more, Elliot? I think we do. This comes uh, from Chris in Sacramento, California. Hey, Chris. Thanks for writing. <clears throat> um, he goes, hey, Elliot and Vince. I'm a big fan of the show. Um, I've been learning so much listening to all the episodes and I don't know much about Forage or Oklahoma in general, but the one thing I have heard, and maybe you can confirm for me, is that the movie Deliverance was shot there. So, Elliot, allow me to allow me to just kind of level set. Please. It sounds like Chris is pretty confident, and he's more asking mm-hmm. for like a, a, a affirmation than he is asking a question, and he is yeah. claiming. To know, quote unquote, that the movie Deliverance hit psychological adventure thriller from the 1970s was mm-hmm. filmed and set here in Forage, Oklahoma. It seems that way. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of picturing Chris in a bar with his buddies, uh, just having a debate over where Deliverance was filmed, and he brings up. Um, our podcast he brings up vince and elliot mcnally the and he brings up towns and country the mcnally brothers comprehensive guide to small town america and he says listen guys i'm just gonna settle the score and write these guys so we can put this to bed and unfortunately chris you're wrong yeah and in that fictional scenario uh this is kind of what i'd envision too uh instead of mm-hmm. you know perhaps looking on the internet or you know mm-hmm. you know just anything you wrote us in and and know we've said it once we've said it a thousand times uh, deliverance was filmed in georgia mm-hmm. uh and not here in oklahoma you know in the fictional scenario i feel like maybe they were in a place where they couldn't use their phones maybe electricity was out in the bar and they were just having a good old-fashioned debate and uh maybe well maybe somebody maybe chris's friend tom he did have his phone, but he didn't want to prove Chris wrong in front of everybody because he knew that Stacy was there and Chris wants to ask Stacy out. You know, as uncanny as it sounds, that's exactly what I was thinking. And so mm-hmm. I, I lend a lot of credence. All right, Chris, we'll cut you some slack this time. Uh, sorry about it, but Deliverance was not filmed here in Forage. It was not. Um, but that was a great round of questions. Uh, definitely made us proud to be in forage so we could shed some light on a little more things i want to shed some light on a different topic in forage vince elliot i think that's great i think perhaps now that we've satisfied our hunger for knowledge we can maybe go a little more literally i would love to in a segment i call maybe you call elliot seats So, Elliot, tell us about Elliot's Eats for those who may not be familiar. Of course. So, Elliot's Eats is my um, journey through the town, through the week, um, of the culinary side of the culture. And the way I do this is I talk to the townspeople. I eat in the same place every single day of the week, um, just basically from word of mouth. And I, I find that talking to people about their town, you'll really garner the, the best responses of where to eat, of what they think makes their town special. And everyone bonds over food, you know. And I, I think it's, it's uh, food journalism is kind of what I, what I tend to call it. You do use that term pretty liberally. 
Um, Elliot, I am really intrigued as to what you found to eat here in Forage because I will I will add a little context to this segment. The pickings are slim. Not a lot of places sell food, let alone sell prepared food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But actually, that is pretty great for me. As you know, and as I'm sure many of our listeners know, I am a vegan. And Among other things. Yes, among other things, Vince, but um, a vegan first and foremost. And as we've been realizing, which I didn't really realize when we start out, out on this journey to write our almanac, is that it's it brings its certain challenges when we're in small-town America that has limited diets, that values meat, um, and it, it's hard for me to sometimes find a meal. Absolutely. It's not always the easiest... And even though I, I rib you a little bit over it, uh, it my, I am sympathetic because it's not always it's not always easy to find something that you can actually sit down and enjoy. That's true. And in forage, as we've alluded to, there's not much to eat. But on the bright side of that, for me at least, eating nothing is the closest thing to veganism. So that is, that's been really great for me. Oh, it's been a, a blessing in disguise, you might say. And as you might remember, Vince, before we started out on our journey back home, I was trying something called urban foraging. Yeah, I do remember that. I remember you had a brief run-in with the uh, with the police uh, where you you foraged in somebody's home that you thought was abandoned. Yeah, I mean, it, it turned out to just... I, I was a little delirious from not having eaten uh, in a few days, and so I stumbled into someone's mansion and I thought that it was just an abandoned house and I was digging through their their fridge but you know that's neither here nor there but but I do recall I do recall this part that part of your life yeah and for for those of you who don't know urban foraging is it, it definitely celebrates the urban environment it allows you to go and uh dig through the the refuse of the town um and subsist on things that people may deem as waste but are actually full in nutrients and are actually perfectly editable and so i I was kind of trying this and then we set out on the journey and i had to uh, divert a little bit in diets i've been trying other things but then we got to forage and i wanted to try something that the the foragians call rural foraging that's right all right well please tell us about it so rural foraging is exactly what it sounds like. It's it's the counterpart to urban foraging. You're going around, you're digging in, um, you know, d- dumpsters, back alleys, whatever you can find. And I usually, you know, a, a really good prize would be like a melon rind or um, a li- like the last bite of a carrot, you know, that, that's, that would be perfect. That stumpy part of a carrot where there's yeah. like a little bit of stem still mm-hmm. on it. Basically, you know, if, if you're cutting vegetables the part that you're just throwing in the garbage disposal that's that's perfectly editable and you you want these edible little treats um when you're foraging and urban foraging i mean you have restaurants you have different people's homes that are wasting all this but rural foraging is a different story is it true that you have you have to eat Eat things that random wildlife has stopped eating and abandoned. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a scavenging portion to it, and that's if if you aren't a vegan, yeah, you'll definitely find nutrients in those different 
things, but then, you know, wildlife and other scavengers that may be around here. And just just um, to clarify, any wildlife that wanders into forage will stay for a matter of minutes before they realize that it is just not a safe place to be. And then at that point, they either leave or die. Mm-hmm. That's, that's true. And once they die, I mean, it's pretty uh, much a matter of minutes before their, their corpse is, their carcass is radioactive, so you can't eat it. Um, but what, what Forge does have going for it is this spillage we've been talking about. A lot of trash and garbage blows over on the wind from other towns, and so they have the most junkyards per capita of any town in America. That's true. That's true. Uh, and their junkyards aren't really called junkyards, are they, Elliot? Uh, no, I mean, you've heard the saying, uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure, I'm sure. Uh, I've heard it. I, I'm guessing that some of our listeners have heard it. Uh, so I went over with a couple of native Foragians to Houlihan's treasure chest. Houlihan's treasure chest. And this is where Elliot's Eats is based this week. Basically, you walk in and it looks like any other junkyard. You know, there's mounds piled high of trash, of old garbage, of different souvenirs, uh, as a lot of people call them. And, but then right in the middle is the, are these quaint little bistro tables. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you're seated. You know, it's just like a regular restaurant, but it's kind of like a serve-yourself thing. So you get up and then you kind of dig around and it's fun. And then you bring whatever you can find back to your table. This sounds fascinating it sounds interesting and it sounds hands-on i am intrigued what was fun is that you don't typically expect when you get to forage for there to be any sort of camaraderie in finding food you, you know you're you're immediately thrown into when you get into the town this this post-apocalyptic uh fight or flight scenario where you have to find all your food yourself but this turns that on its head and it's saying you know we're all people we're all in this together let's have this one restaurant in town where we can kind of find things together so elliot give us just an example what's one meal you found um there was um like a a half a bag of doritos i found Oh, wow. That yeah. sounds like a pretty good haul. And that, I mean, that's classy. So what you do is you find, you find stuff and then you go over and to Houlihan, who, who manages the junkyard. and then The he, proprietor, if you will, the maitre d'. Yeah, and he tells you what that's going to cost you. And so some people think that it's sort of unfair because, and he's very self-serving about this, but uh, he, he's trying to make a living too. So if he sees, for instance, a, um, a, an old battery that you want to eat, then he's going to say, oh, that's going to cost you your, your right shoe. Yeah, it's a, a lot of the local economy seems to be based on the barter system. Is that right, Elliot? It is, it is. So you, you can expect when you find like a half a bag of Doritos that like, you're just going to be, I mean, you're going to be giving away so much in order to eat that. But what was really nice is that they knew that I was from out of town. Usually Vince and I try and do our best to blend in as locals, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but we were kind of out of our element. And so they, they let me have one of the Doritos from the bag and then I split them with the rest of the people at the restaurant. Oh, that sounds great, Elliot. And that's really the spirit of Forage. It's not an every man for itself. It's a nothing for everyone. Yeah, it's this type of economy that I think we need to see more of in America. Well said, Elliot. Now, the Houlihan's junkyard, or what what was it called? Houlihan's treasure trove? Treasure chest. Houlihan's treasure chest. 
was something I didn't know about. I never made it there in my time in Forage. And there's a couple more things that I bet you, I, and our listeners don't know about Forage. Well, I think we should discuss them in our next segment. That we call, Did You Know? I've been loving the little inflection you put on Did You Know? It's really helpful. Thanks. I, I think it it differentiates a introduction to a segment from an actual question. A lot mm-hmm. of times we'll we'll say, you know, and this is the next segment, did you know? And then we'll get we'll get people writing in saying, Did I know what? And that's mm-hmm. all they'll say. Did mm-hmm. I know what? And and we were often confused by these until we realized it was because we were kind of leading them in with a rhetorical did you know. Mm-hmm. And in our almanac, uh, Towns and Country, the McNally Brothers Comprehensive Guide to Small Town America, we wanted to have this little did-you-know did section for each town. And we were thinking, just so it, in case people didn't think they were just reading a sentence and it's a did-you-know, we wanted you to turn the page and have like a big, like a pop-up book where did-you-know comes out at you and like a little song plays. And for some reason, Xander, our publisher, is saying this is just going to be... You know, the broken Too record. Too expensive. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, not how, feasible. How many uh. times have we heard this? Uh, it's 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 just we're hearing it's this. It's pulling teeth with Xander. Every every single idea we have, I feel like there's pushback. Yeah. Uh, man, sometimes it makes me wonder who's it, who's writing this thing. Is it us or is it Xander? I know, and he's telling us, you know, some maybe you guys just want to. Uh, cull down your ideas and really shoot the moon with with just one idea and we're saying Xander America wasn't built on one good idea it was built on a ton of pretty mediocre ideas and when you put all those together that it creates something great and you know that's what Forge is built on that's what our almanac should be built on and we want to have as much of of, uh, a presence in the the household of the American public, as our podcast does. That's really well said, Elliot. Um, but without further ado, should we get into some did you knows? The listeners mm-hmm. don't want to hear about our fights with Xander. I, I think we should get into did you know. Um, do you want me to start off, Vince? You know, I would love that, Elliot. Vince, did you know that Forage sees the most amount of Eagle Scouts every year than any other city in America. Elliot, really? That seems that doesn't seem likely at all. What do you know why? Yeah, I do. So obviously you have to get a bunch of badges, different merit badges, in order to ascend the ranks of the Boy Scouts and to get an Eagle Scout. The last thing that a lot of people don't know about is called the double Eagle Scout. And that, oh, is that so? And that is when you spend a week in forage. That's it. That's all you have to do. Spend a week in forage, you're a double Eagle Scout. It has not been done by an Eagle Scout yet. Wow. Life here is so brutal that people can't stay for a week to earn a merit badge. Well, it's it's the fact that it's it's so brutal of an environment. It's the fact that parents of, you know, a twelve year old kid are not gonna send their kid over to forage for a week and likely never see them again you know it so there's there's a lot of uh, political things going on here that's true that's true and it, it seems to me that had we not brought our you know customary trailer of food and supplies that we probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have lasted a week here well and 
because of that, you know, we've had to erect this barbed wire fence around our RV and we've had to be armed at all times because we were told that we would be scavenged immediately if we, we turned our backs. That's true. That's yeah. And we've thankfully been able to stave off the waves of scavengers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. I did not know that Elliot, Elliot, did you know that no one has ever lived past age 54 here in forage? I didn't know that. It seems uh, very reasonable, but but I did not know that. It's... Yeah, absolutely. As you, I mean, you might imagine there's a lot of starvation. A lot of people die of heat stroke, and then if you do manage to make it past those sort of formative years, the radiation will get you. So um, wow. you know, they say they the the motto here. It's kind of a take up of the Billy Joel song. It's it's only the everyone dies young in forage. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the town motto. Yeah, that's on their that's on the Welcome to Forage billboard. Well, that that's interesting, Vince. Did you know that Forage was the inspiration for the novel Grapes of Wrath? You know, it's now that you say it, it makes a lot of sense. But I did not know that Steinbeck, John Steinbeck, all, actually came here and he tried to spend a week here trying to get his Double Eagle Scout merit badge. He was very big into the into the Boy Scouts of America, and he saw these people toiling and uh, just struggling to live, and it inspired him first to get out of the town and to never visit ever again, but also to write a book um, that documented the, the trials and tribulations of what some people refer to as Okies. Oh, is that so? And that, that definitely gets back. Okies comes from that the Forage Civil War in which that little oak tree started growing in the middle of the town. That was a that was a multi part. Did you know, Elliot? I learned three new things. That mm-hmm. one that's sensational. I did not know that, Elliot. Did you know when in forage, taking off your hat while passing someone is actually a sign of disrespect? Hmm. So, so why is that, Vince? It's essentially flaunting to the other person that you have food, and that they don't, because hats are often eaten. Here in oh, so it's kind of saying, hey, look at this hat. It's like, hey, th- look at this. Look at my meal. Hey, hatless, here's my hat. Wish you had one. Isn't that right? Wow, that that is really, really interesting. I'm really glad that I didn't take off my hat the entire time I was here. Yeah, well, the, well, the, the sun is nigh constant, so mm-hmm. you, you can't really, if you value uh, not getting skin cancer. But a uh, good thing that we didn't, huh? Wow, that's... That is really good. We could have gotten to some serious trouble. Vince, I didn't know that, but did you know that the original film, Mad Max, almost was completely filmed and supposed to take place in Forage? Really? That, too, seems fitting, but I didn't know. So, in uh, the 1980s, the whole film crew, the production crew, Mel Gibson and all, were ready to film and they were ready to uh, start start filming in Forage. And what happened was people, they couldn't operate. Nobody could work anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A, a couple days into shooting, uh, a boom mic operator keeled over. You know, M- Mel Gibson wouldn't leave his trailer. He was saying, there's no way I'm going out there. Um, and people started to not be able to distinguish what was the movie and what was real life. 
um, and really they just had to pick up and they had to leave town and they kind of uh, just ceased on the, the production for a year until they, they found a, a more suitable, uninhabitable land to film the movie in. And where was that? Uh, that was out in, actually, in Australia. Yes, uninhabitable, but not quite as barren and depressing as Forage. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Elliot, that, that that is a movie set location question that I can get behind. Even with all these fun Did You Know facts, listeners, we still got one more thing for you. Because you guys support us so just passionately and zealously, we want to give back to you, and we do that each and every week with kind of uh, what I would call an audio postcard. Is that a pretty good representation, Elliot? I think so. And it's a segment we call Wish You Were Here. To start out this segment, we usually just start dictating a letter, and I, I think it's a really fun way to wrap up the show, wrap up our time here in Forge, and it's meant to be reflective as much as it's meant to motivate people to maybe come here. We do it every week. Elliot, why don't you do the honors of starting us off? For sure. Dear listener, wish you were here in Forage, Oklahoma. A place that the government deems uninhabitable, but the citizens deem home. And a place where you might not be able to go outside, get food, and do anything you love, except loving being in Forage. A place where a half a bag of Doritos is a really good meal. And a place where a rock with googly eyes is newsworthy. A place where there's not much, but there is a sense of camaraderie, adventure, and perseverance. So farewell from these parts to yours. Hey listeners, thanks again for listening to another episode of These Parts. Be sure to join us again next week. Next week, Vince and I are going to be in Paxilati, Pennsylvania. Paxilati is the original town to have a rodent determine and prognate national climate. But once Punxsutawney overshadowed this, they put different rodents in charge of predicting all major trends, unfortunately to no avail or condemnation. Now that sounds very interesting. Be sure not to miss it.